Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone, Um, this is Mary Woods and our guest today is Joe Amico and we're going to be talking about the latest and greatest um, issues and information with folks who have um, who work with or who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. Um, Joe is an expert in this arena. He's a licensed independent substance abuse counselor and certified addiction specialist. He has been um, traveled internationally to speak on LGBT issues. He's also president of NALGAP, the Association of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Addiction Professionals and their Allies. He's the National Marketing Coordinator for Sante Center for Healing and pastor of First Congregational United Church of Christ in West Brattleboro, Vermont. In addition, he serves on the the editorial advisory board for the Addictional Professional Magazine. He's also been um, a very active member on CSAT and SAMHSA Steering Committee on Crystal Meth, the Clinical Issues Committee of NADAC, the Association of Addiction Professionals, and also the Board of Directors for the New England Addiction Technology Transfer Center. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, This is a a topic we could probably talk about for hours, but um, I think it would be really important to give folks, just an overview of, um, maybe just an overview of NAILGAP and um, how you got started in the profession? I would be happy to do that. <clears throat> uh, NAILGAP, which, as you said, is the Association of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Addiction Professionals and Their Allies, uh, was founded in 1979 as the first organization in the country uh, and currently the, I think, the only professional organization that is both for uh, LGBTQ addiction professionals, but primarily to uh, look at the needs and the concerns of LGBTQ clients or patients in treatment programs and to advocate for their needs and to see that uh, we're doing uh, justly in terms of our treatment across the nation. Um, we folks can get more information by going to the website. That's a great place to go. It's N-A-L-G-A-P, nowgap.org. Um, I think that one of the things that over the years through, um, through my experience in working in this profession, oftentimes, um, you know, folks who are um, LGBTQ, um, get marginalized in the addiction treatment 
centers. Um, there really there isn't any kind of, um, for lack of a better word, culturally sensitive um, programming or 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 staffing. And um, I'm not sure whether that's affected recovery rates or not. Well, that, that's a good question, actually, and it's one of the things that NALGAP has been talking with CSAT and SAMHSA about is, uh, number one, to try to come up with standards of care around um, treatment programs working with LGBTQ clients and patients, but also to look at um, gathering some data. We actually just don't have the actual data and research. There's been a little bit done, but not enough that uh, really makes a difference. Um, we know that since 1986 was when the very first specific inpatient treatment program uh, came about for gays and lesbians, which was Pride Institute in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And then uh, there are other programs today who have uh, LGBT tracks or say that they um, treat LGBT folks. Uh, there are other programs in the country who still are pretty naive about the issues and would say, oh, we treat them like everybody else, not paying attention to the specific needs of this population, which does have specific needs. So one of the things that NALGAP did uh, back in uh, the late uh, 90s was to work with CSAT and SAMHSA to produce uh, what is called the uh, provider's Introduction to Substance Abuse Treatment for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Individuals. Um, that is available from uh, CSAT, um, and it's a free document that folks can can get. Um, if The easiest way, if folks want to find it again, they can go to the NALGAP website, nalgap.org, and you'll see information about it, and you can click, and it'll take you to the places where you can order that material. But every treatment program um, could certainly uh, have copies of that available for both administrators and clinicians. The second thing that we've done um, since the publication of that um, document is to get a uh, training curriculum uh, published. And so there is, uh, it's also available, it's a training curriculum that goes along with the provider's introduction. Um, and we've been doing a training of trainers throughout the country over the last uh, couple of years. Um, currently, both of those documents are a little bit getting a bit outdated. They were printed uh, over 10 years ago, and so we're working on uh, with CSAT and SAMHSA to get funding in order to revise and uh, update those materials. But uh, in terms of the trainings, let me say to you there's... Um, a couple of areas in the country that have really taken this on. Uh, one in particular uh, that I will uh, tout because I'm proud of them for doing it is the state of Ohio. They've made LGBTQ issues in substance abuse treatment an initiative. And uh, so they are actually doing a training of trainers uh, within their own state so that they will train 18 to 25 trainers who will then go around the state making sure that um, the, the substance abuse programs in that state are sensitive to LGBTQ issues, are aware of what the issues are, and uh, will be able to make sure that uh, people have the, the same level of understanding, which I think is very important. You know, Joe, I've known you for uh, a long time, and as you're talking about this, I'm sitting here thinking, um, 
why is it just Ohio? If this has been around since the early 90s, why aren't we seeing more of this in other states? Why isn't it higher on people's radar? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Um, there's uh, certainly not um, every area where folks are willing to take on these issues and make them a priority. Um, it's, it's interesting that when I go around and do presentations at conferences or state-level um, alcohol and drug conferences, uh, the participants are always saying, boy, I've been looking for this kind of training and treatment for 15 years. I've been in the business, you know, for a long time, looking for it, hoping for it. Um, so folks genuinely seem relieved and happy when we come around and do these trainings, but uh, but not uh, not very many states have really said, yeah, we're going to add that to our cultural diversity training and make that a requirement for programs. Um, so I think it's it's one of those things where it's getting better, but we still have a long way to go. What would some of the standards be? Uh, well, I think uh, the, the, the issue is to, first of all, make sure that folks have a general understanding of sexual orientation issues, gender identity issues, and to understand the difference between the two, um, and to make sure that folks understand that um, that, you know, getting away from, there are still folks out there who believe that uh, in using the word preference or choice and to understand that this is a sexual orientation that is um, determined um, either before or very early after birth um, and that uh, folks don't have a choice or preference around it. Um, there are actually still some programs in the country that uh, that use what's called reparative therapy, which um, has been um, uh, denied by the uh, American Psychological and American Psychiatric Association as therapeutic, um, and uh, there are uh, so it's really important that folks understand that we need to create an environment where gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender folk feel safe in order to deal with their issues. It's not about um, making the program specific to them as, as much as it is saying this is a safe place where you don't have to deal with uh, fending off either staff or, or patients for negative attitudes and feelings so that you can actually work on the issues you need to work on, which is your uh, substance abuse, your addictive behavior, or other mental health issues. Um, I think it's uh, one of the things that I've noticed over the years Excuse me. Is that um, is that there have been certain um, drugs of choice, if you will, that are associated with the gay community, um, and is that a stereotype? Like meth um, is associated oftentimes with the gay community. Is is that a stereotype that we impose on folks? <laughs> well, that's another good question. I would say, first of all, that uh, to be clear, that um, the the LGBT community is not immune to any particular of the uh, addictions, just like any other population. Um, so we see folks that have uh, drugs of choice in all areas, including you know alcohol, heroin. In fact, there was a study done within the last two years that actually showed the number one drug of abuse among uh, this population was actually marijuana. 
um, but um, certainly the crystal meth um, uh, uh, epidemic, if you will, um, has been huge, especially among gay men. Um, and so, and I think it affected a higher number of that population than others. As I travel around the country and talk with uh, substance abuse providers, many of them will say that uh, they don't see a lot of crystal meth, but when I dig further and talk about, uh, but uh, uh, are they working with um, gay populations, then I, then I find out, no, they aren't. And the, um, And so, yes, I think crystal meth has been widely abused in the um, among uh, the particularly the gay men in our culture so the stereotype is like any stereotype there's there's truth and there's fiction so the truth is yes it's larger in our population than it is in uh, the general population but it's not the only drug of choice in the LGBT population is there today is there a the same amount of stigma and discrimination that um, people who are LGBTQ experiences they did, let's say, 15 years ago? Has it gotten better? It's really, um, I would say that's by, uh, it's in pockets. Um, so there are parts of the country and specific treatment programs where folks have really gotten much more sensitive and are um, in it's much safer places for folks to, to get treatment. But I continue to get reports from people who will say, well, they went to treatment and uh, in their particular treatment program they were told not to talk about their LGBT um, issues because they couldn't guarantee their safety from other clients. Um, probably it, the huge um, group that particularly sees the most difficulty today are the transgender individuals. Um, I get calls from transgender folk who will say, well, I did go to a treatment program or a hospital near my home, and they really did try to understand what was going on or what my needs were, but I ended up spending most of my treatment educating staff or other clients about what it means to be transgender. And if they're spending that time educating folks, they're not really getting their needs met in terms of what they, their own recovery process. So it, it kind of seems to me like, as a profession, we should be a little bit better in our marketing in terms of what we can and what we cannot do, because oftentimes a lot of programs, when you when you look at them, it's like they can do everything. Exactly. And, I, you know, I've, I've always been one to say that, you know, we just know one treatment program can be all things to all people. Um, one of the things that I do in my workshops is, uh, and especially when I do in-services with staffs, uh, is uh, a continuum that uh, my colleague Joe Nyson came up with several years ago. And it, it talks about all the way going from gay-naive treatment programs all the way up to gay-affirming and gay-sensitive programs. And we'll be now, right not... back after this commercial to talk about that, okay? Okay. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 
1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we're with Joe Amico, and we're talking about the latest and greatest in the treatment of LGBTQQ. And um, before we start talking about the language of of this community, you were before we went to break. You were talking about the continuum of, yes. um, and could you just share a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, the this continuum, which um, actually it's in the uh, Provider's uh, guide. When if folks uh, uh, get that and are able to get to it, uh, it's also in a lot of the slides that I do in, in my programs. But um, uh, what it does is to look at the fact that there are um, not everybody is at the same place in terms of both where they are as an organization or an agency, in terms of gay sensitivity and gay affirmation. Um, so um, it uh, it begins uh, with uh, treatment programs who are uh, actually anti-gay, and there are programs that are, of course, that when I talk about reparative therapy, the programs who believe that uh, their mission is to take gay folk and make them straight, uh, that would certainly be considered an anti-gay program. Um, and uh, certainly not one that NALGAP would support. Uh, then there's traditional treatment programs. Uh, and now this is changing somewhat from when Joe wrote it, but um, it, what he said in the traditional programs is they don't realize they have LGBT clients, so they don't really acknowledge um, or uh, um, have specific programming. Then there's gay-naive programs who realize they've had LGBT clients, uh, but as an agency, they still haven't begun to address the specific issues of LGBT clients. 
and then there's gay tolerant programs. And this is probably where I would say the majority of general um, substance abuse programs fall today. They have a minimal sensitivity to LGBT issues. They recognize they have LGBT clients. They may even have some staff who verbalize to clients that it's okay to be uh, LGBT, uh, but discussions are still more on an individual basis um, rather than how would the group react to this. Uh, and there's no specific LGBT treatment components in the program. Uh, next uh, from that would be gay-sensitive treatment providers. They have a moderate level of sensitivity. They typically have several clients or staff who are open about their orientation. They may have some workshops or groups that focus on LGBT issues, and they may have some groups specifically for LGBT clients. Um, there might even be a track uh, that for LGBT-specific groups. Um, but the, then the, the, the end of the continuum is gay-affirming treatment providers, which has the highest level of sensitivity, where all the workshops and groups are designed specifically around LGBT individuals, uh, and therapy and workshop groups are never mixed with the heterosexual groups, um, and the workshops go beyond LGBT sensitivity but affirm the individual. The workshops on addiction issues incorporate special issues facing LGBT individuals, um, and the, the treatment program has LGBT magazines, newspapers available, posters and other images on the walls uh, are displayed throughout the facility that reflect LGBT um, uh, communities and lifestyles. So that last uh, category, the gay affirming treatment provider, is that type that we were saying right before the break, that I would not every treatment program can do that. Those are programs that have really dedicated themselves to have a specific LGBT unit or the program itself is specific to LGBT. So what I typically do when I'm working with a, a, a treatment team or a staff is to look at this continuum and have them say, where would you put your own organization on this continuum, and uh, where do you want to be as an organization? Then we can talk about how you get there. So for a lot of organizations, again, it's either um, they're either the naive or tolerant stage and they want to get to be the, more in the sensitive um, track. It seems to me like there's such a broad range of unique clinical um, characteristics for the uh, LGBTQ population that I would think you would have to be, you know, uh, pretty sophisticated because I would think that the folks who are like gay women have different issues than gay men, bisexual folks have different um, challenges than transgender. And I, I would think, once again, wouldn't it be hard to kind of be all things to one people or, or not? <laughs> yes, you're exactly right about that. Um, and, uh, and certainly some of the arguments even within the gay-affirming uh, programs are that um, oftentimes folks will say, well, they've been too focused on gay men and not enough on lesbian issues. Bisexuals are often the real um, silent group who get left out and um, don't even get a lot of recognition among gays and lesbians. And then there's the whole transgender issues, which raise altogether different issues because the gay, lesbian, bisexual issues are around uh, sexual orientation. 
whereas the transgender issues are more about gender identity than they are about sexual orientation. So it's a whole different set of issues and involve a whole lot of um, different understanding and support mechanisms. Um, during the break, I had asked you what the what the Q was in LGBTQ because you had mentioned that in the earlier segment. And growing up, that was a word that was considered politically incorrect. You know, you could not queer was not something that that um, people felt good about if you called them queer. And right. and you said that's the Q in LGBTQ. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what what's politically correct today. You know, how should we Talk about folks. That uh, that's an excellent question, and I I run into that all the time in my talks. Um, the word queer, uh, indeed, was a word that prior to um, uh, well, the uh, the Stonewall riots in 1969. Um, I I always say the Stonewall riots are the demarcation of the gay movement. It's kind of like they are to the gay movement what uh, the um, marches on Selma, Alabama, were to the civil rights movement. And folks who live, or who were brought up prior to 1969, have a different worldview uh, of what it means to be gay in, in, in America than those that were born after 1969. And to those of us who were uh, pre-Stonewallers, that was a bad word. It was a word that was used as derision. It was made fun of people, put people down, and so therefore it was a bad word. What's interesting is like so many words in terms of the way that they evolve and change in our society, the word queer has now been the word adopted as the preferred term by a lot of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender youth in our society. So if you go into certain parts of the country, um, especially some of the urban areas, you'll find uh, the kids calling themselves queer and wanting to do that. Uh, how I got wrapped up in that is back in uh, around 1999-2000, I was hosting a radio show in Phoenix. And um, I, uh, we, we said, well, what should we call the show? And the LGBT youth in the community all wrote in and called into the show and said they wanted the word queer in the name of the show. I invited them on the show to talk about it because I was not convinced that that was a good word to use. And they converted me. I said to them, why do you want to use this word? And uh, I, I love it as substance abuse professionals because one of our expressions we use is keep it simple. And the kids said to me, why do you have to know if you're gay or bi or whatever you are? If you don't fit the heterosexual norm, you're just queer. And I found that to be delightful because at that time I was writing articles and doing a lot of speaking. And um, you know how long it takes to write out gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender all the time? And to just say queer encompasses the whole group of sexual minorities makes it a lot more simple. So it actually has become a politically correct term among the LGBT community. And there's another cue for questioning. Exactly. Um, so we often talk about LGBTQQ, uh, and questioning are those folks who may be uh, questioning their own sexual identity or their sexual orientation. And what I share with counselors when I'm doing my trainings is for them to realize that, you know, even though you might 
be aware that you've got LGBT folks who identify or self-identify in groups or with you as an individual. You probably have another whole group of folks that may be questioning their identity and orientation. And if they're questioning, they probably haven't even been able to verbalize that to themselves, let alone to others. So to just be aware that there's a whole group of folks, especially that might be in your uh, treatment program, that may be questioning their own orientation and or identity. One of the things that I learned like 30 years ago was that people who are in early recovery who've been drinking since 12, 13, um, really need to go through that questioning stage as part of early recovery because developmentally it's not something they've they've been able to do because they've been under the influence. And it sounds like we have to go to commercial, so maybe you could answer that on the other side. You bet. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center of recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Today's show is about the latest and greatest issues with the LGBTQ community, and Joe Amico is our guest. If you have any questions for Joe, please give us a call. Um, I guess what I was saying 
before we went to break, actually, no, I was saying that, is that whole concept of people in early recovery who have pretty much missed their adolescence, that questioning their their orientation is something that is common and um, developmentally appropriate. Is that still true? It's more than still true. Um, there's there's uh, several uh, things that I'd like to say about that. Because uh, number one, we all know as substance abuse professionals that uh, certainly folks have arrested development from whenever they start using, uh, and it's particularly abusing chemicals. And so then when, you know, we often say, for example, that, you know, yeah, you're a, thir- uh, you're a 14-year-old in a 38-year-old body, um, and so you have to do a lot of catching up emotionally. Well, one of the things that I probably am the most quoted on in other articles in my talks is when I, I, I talk about the fact that um, the coming out experience for a gay, lesbian, bisexual uh, person is like a second adolescence, that once folks discover that they are either gay, lesbian, or bisexual, um, that the whole experience of coming out and exploring a new world, they're, they're just like a teenager. When a teenager, you know, with all those uh, hormones running around and all the sexual activity and stuff that happens, and that can happen at any age. Um, I've worked with people in their 60s who are in the coming out process. Um, you know, I had a, had a gentleman one time who uh, had realized that, um, that now that his, his wife had, had passed a few years earlier, his kids were all adults and not living around, and all of a sudden he found himself experimenting with, uh, with and having sex with men and uh, trying to figure out where that was coming from. And he had just suppressed it for, for 60 years, and, and he was really like a kid in a candy shop. And so, uh, so all of that is true. There's both the issue of just the coming out process itself, and then you compound that with drug abuse um, and what that does to suppression of emotions. And so you can just have stuff bleeding out all over the place when folks sober up and start dealing with the issues. You know, I think um, one of the things that um, I have heard you say and other folks as well is that, um, that sexuality is fluid. Yes. And um, that's a concept that I don't think most people um, hear about or discuss very often. Yeah, let me uh, say a word about that. And, uh, and it just came up in a, uh, in a group that I was having lunch with on Friday in, in Sacramento. The, um, the, one of the things that I like to use is the Kinsey continuum, which is pretty simple. Um, it it's just is... Uh, uh, goes from zero to six and uh, puts um, homosexuality at one end and heterosexuality at the other end. And um, and the Kinseys, when they did their work, said that really only 2% of the population was completely heterosexual and only 2% of the population is completely homosexual. That's that word completely that's a problem, but in the sake of time, I won't go there, but just to say that that means that the rest of us, 96% of the population, is on that continuum between 1 and 5. And uh, when I do that with adolescents, 
you can see the uh, shoulders go down and, and you hear kids take a breath because it, it means like, wow, just because I've fantasized maybe about having sex with someone of the same sex doesn't necessarily mean I'm gay. And I say, no, not necessarily. And uh, I use it back when we were talking a few minutes ago about uh, the Q that stands for questioning. I use that continuum with those folks, and it's really helpful for them and for me as the clinician when I say to them, so where would you put yourself on this continuum? And that gives us more uh, more to talk about in terms of, so, you know, why did you put yourself there on the continuum, and what is it that you think about? What are the, where you know, where do your fantasies take you? What have your activities been? All of that. So uh, I think... You know, I, I tell people in a perfect world, I would I would hope that we wouldn't have to have labels. You know, even though my workshop is about giving people labels, the LGBTQ, Q, and I also use AI2S. We probably won't have time to go through all those, but um, but just the the sense that you know that we it's it's I, I would rather that we didn't have to have the labels, but we have to have a way of talking about the issues. And that's why we use the labels today. But otherwise, I really do believe, in essence, we're all sexual beings. And as sexual beings, some of us have various orientations, and some are stronger in others uh, than they are, than they are in the general population. But uh, but if we could just look at it that way, to me, it would just make so much more sense. You know, one of the things that comes to mind for me is when you're talking about this, too, is that, um, you know, there's still, for a lot of people, it's not safe to come out. You know, we we try to think we live in a more enlightened world since post-Stonewall. I have a young gentleman who's very close to me who's gay, and um, he does not feel that he's experienced enough of that stigma to make him feel bad about himself, you know, Um, but he's um, he's very quick to kind of stereotype lesbians. You know, he'll he'll make comments about don't get between a lesbian and her dog, or um, you know, uh, he'll make general generalizations about his lesbian friends that they're all drama queens or whatever. And it seems like even within the community, there's stereotypes and there's um, folks that are kind of you know labeling people as well. Or maybe it's just this young man, but. Um, no, I'll take that even one step further. Um, as I go around doing my my workshops, um, uh, some folks will say, "Well, gee, in this day and age, do we even need to be doing this?" Of course, we're all more you know open to it and more supportive these days. And I point out that just since last fall, there have been 22 recorded suicides of folks who have been bullied because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. That's huge. And uh, so the fact that we still live in a society where kids don't feel safe about who they are and are being bullied because of who they are in their own school systems, we still have a lot of work to do. It's not safe for everybody everywhere yet. Do you think that shows like Modern Family um, that has um, a gay male couple with a with a young daughter? Do you think that helps destigmatize um, 
gay folks. Well, I've always, yeah, you know, I've always said that, um, you know, it's interesting when I was in high school and college, and, and since I'm a pre Stonewaller, that goes, that's ancient history, um, that, uh, you know, we used to talk about the fact that the arts were always um, ahead of the population or leading the population in trend setting or helping educate people. And I truly believe today that uh, that television and movies and some of the other media like that really do have a way of uh, kind of setting the pace and doing that. And, yeah, I think that the fact that there are a number of TV shows that have positive images of gay people that are not being made fun of or being put in stereotypical situations, uh, that, that that is helping uh, without a doubt. You know, I've always admired the um, the ability of the gay community to advocate for themselves. Like, um, I, I continually wonder why there's still so much <clears throat> stigma for people who experience alcoholism and other drugs, drug addictions, and how how hard it is to get money for research or for treatment. And and the gay community has always been able to advocate for themselves and and get, get something for it, you know, and. And I keep saying, why why can't the addiction community do the same thing? Um, and I, I don't think you know the answer to that either. But it's just <laughs> something that you know. It's just well, I, I just don't understand. Um, you know. Well, I think it's a mutual thing because I think that there are lots of folks within the gay community who are not able to advocate for themselves, which is why organizations like NALGAP and other um, uh, national um, LGBT organizations exist. Um, and so likewise, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, uh, NADAC and, and other substance abuse professional organizations have done a great job of, of trying to advocate and lobby and educate, but maybe that's an area where our uh, our two types of organizations can do a little more learning from each other and supporting of each other. Well, I, I that I think is is true, but I also think in general, um, Stonewall. There's never been something equal mm-hmm. with folks with addiction. You know, when I think mm-hmm. about um, Harvey Milk and what happened mm-hmm. out in San Francisco. There's never been that kind of um, consumer uprising, if you will, um, mm-hmm. saying that we we deserve better, we demand better, and um, and and it just to me, I, I think in some ways, well, the LGBTQ community um, certainly needs more resources and whatever. They've always, when when push comes to shove, they've always had a voice. I mean, mm-hmm. someone within the community has always come forward and said, "Wait a minute." This isn't gonna. This isn't okay. Um, well, I think that there's been because there's uh, there's oh the difference is that because uh, I thought as you said that that the key figure you know in the in terms of the uh, in terms of alcohol and alcoholism has been Bill W. and the whole issue around twelve step movements have been anonymity. So there's always been kind of a hesitancy on the part of the recovering community to stand up and uh, be public about who they are and what they've been about. Um, And so the treatment field somehow seems to have fallen into the same arena, even though treatment is different than uh, personal recovery. 
Um, I know several years ago, uh, William Cope Myers and uh, some of the other folks in Hazleton really tried to, to say, let's put names and faces on recovery. And uh, CSET has that wonderful program that uh, comes along with recovery months, and people talk about uh, the, the faces and voices of recovery. So, you know, I, I would hope that folks will continue to, uh, to be able to be more vocal and to stand up for that. Well, and I think I think there's a lot to learn because at one point, anonymity was what kept gay folks safe, that, mm-hmm. that they couldn't come out, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to move beyond that to a place where you can be open about who you are um, is, is a wonderful thing to be able to emulate. And we'll be right back with our final segment with Joe after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk network what it comes down to ladies is that defining line between been there done that and ain't going back baby yeah i've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers maybe even dolls babes darling sugar and sweetheart but i say that women are truly amazing join dr marlene for amazing women brains beauty and style every wednesday at 1 p.m pacific right here on the voice america women's radio network Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Joe Miko is our guest, and we're talking about the latest and greatest things happening in the LGBTQ uh, community and world. Joe, if somebody was questioning, where, where are the resources available to them? Questioning their own gender identity yeah. or sexual or, orientation? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's a that's a huge question. Um, and it's, um, it, it really becomes more on a local level. Uh, and some local areas certainly have more um, than others. I think these uh, this day and age, everybody's used to going on the Internet and finding places and finding things. And um, there are lots of um, most urban areas uh, have some type of uh, LGBT community center uh, or some kind of a hotline. And those are places where I really urge people to go and to try to find resources for their own area. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes folks find us in terms of NALGAP who, uh, they will, they, our, our board of directors are listed on our website and people will contact us asking us for resources within their own area. Um, so, and I'm, I'm thinking of even like a, a, a more rural state like the state of Vermont, uh, which doesn't have an urban area, has an organization called RU12. And um, and so they're based out of Burlington, but they have they really cover the whole state in terms of trying to list resources and uh, what's available for folks in their own areas. Well, I know in New Hampshire they have outright for um, mm-hmm. for people under 22. It's a peer support group. Um, what about if you're looking for a treatment center or a, or a therapist who is gay affirming? Is there a, a national directory? There, there actually is not, and um, and that's why, um, as I say, folks often will contact us at NALGAP because we pretty much try to stay in touch with uh, what's available and what's out there. Um, most of the organizations that are gay-affirming um, belong to NALGAP, but we don't publish um, our, at a directory. But if people contacted us through our website, uh, we would we would certainly try to get them in touch with uh, the resources that we know available at the time. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about um, Sante Healing Center. Um, sure. How, where in the continuum would, would Sante fall? Um, I would say that Sante fits in that the the gay sensitive area. Um, we certainly have staff that are identified as being out at any given time. About 20% of our population, um, patient population, are LGBT or identify as LGBT. Um, and so I think with the uh, and, and uh, the fact that even the the, uh, the um, Sante was was one of the co-founders of Sante was gay. So and one of the co-owners continues to be gay. So there's um, there's there's certainly gay sensitivity there, and it's a it's a safe program for people to come and and work on their issues. Where is Sante located? Sante is in Argyle, Texas. 
Um, and we are a longer-term residential program, 60 to 90 days, co-occurring, meaning that we deal with both the mental health issues and addictions. We treat all the process addictions in addition to uh, substance abuse. We're probably best known nationally for the work we do with uh, sex addiction and eating disorders as well as uh, gambling, spending, and some of the other process addictions. Um, and so when we talk about healing at Sante, um, are you using alternative therapies or...? We're a 12-step-based uh, program, and we uh, we do a trauma model as well because a lot of our folks have had some type of trauma in their lives. Um, and they use a, diff- a number of different modalities like that. We use cognitive behavioral theories, um, EMDR. Uh, a bun- you know, I think the folks are really, we try to match up a, a case manager's um, style with what the particular individual needs when they come in. So if there's one thing that um, our listening audience could take away from the latest and greatest, what is the one thing you'd want everybody to to go home with after our show? I would hope that they would go, if uh, if they're part of an organization or they are an alumni of a treatment program or part of a treatment program in any way, that they would go to the staff or the staff would turn to each other and say, where are we on that continuum and what are we going to do to get some training for our staff on LGBT issues? We, we usually do culturally specific training. We think of it more in terms of ethnic groups rather than sexual minorities. But I would hope that every organization today would include a training on LGBT issues as part of their cultural sensitivity training. You had mentioned that about 20% of the folks at um, Sante Healing Center are LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty standard, do you think? Is, there, is that a standard percentage? Around the country and other yeah. programs? Yeah. No. Um, I, I think in some programs it's a lot lower or at least uh, lower because folks don't feel safe in coming out. Uh, and then in some programs it may even be higher. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that um, there's so much for all of us as providers to learn about this um, culture, if you will. And I, I think that, you know, most of our education has been pretty uh, remiss in teaching us about these, uh, about folks that have um, issues that are lesbian and gay and bisexual, transgender, and, and queer and questioning. And I agree with you, these labels, to me, just drive me crazy because everybody's an individual and nobody experiences, very few people experience the same thing the same way, whether it's childbirth or, you know, uh, being gay or being addicted to alcohol or drugs. And I, I just sometimes think that as treatment providers, we we get stuck with the labels, and we, mm-hmm. we don't see beyond the labels any more than anyone else does. That's an excellent point. And uh, one of the things that I like to see when I sit in on treatment teams and staffings is uh, when people look at treating the whole person rather than treating a particular diagnosis or um, uh, identity. Well, and, and I think I think one of the things I would really like people to understand is that being gay isn't pathological, that if somebody says they're gay, it doesn't mean it has to be an issue on a treatment plan. That's right. You know, that um, mm-hmm. that 
they could be very comfortable with where they're at. It doesn't mean that that has to be, it's just not a pathology. You're exactly right, and that's why I, I developed a set of questions a while back that folks can use in their biopsychosocial that help them determine uh, whether or not those are that needs to be a treatment plan issue or or not. And, and, and how would folks get those? Um, pe- people could certainly write me. I'd be happy to share them with them. Um, and can you just quickly share how people can contact you? Sure, they can contact me at Joe J O E at SanteCenter.com, S-A-N-T-E-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Thank you so much, Joe, um, for spending the hour with us. It's been very enlightening. You're very welcome, Mary, and thank you for taking the time on this very important issue. You're welcome. And have a very safe St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Um, There's a big holiday coming up, and uh, stay sober and stay safe. Have a good week. Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 